Hey friends, welcome to the Better Bible Reading Podcast with Kevin Morris. 2023, we are officially in a new year, and every year now since we've been in the 2020s, every year just seems so weird to say. 2023 sounds like such a strange thing, uh, but have to get used to it because we got a whole year of having to write it down and say it out loud and all the rest. But I'm glad to be with you for the first episode of the new year on the podcast. Hopefully you're doing well so far this year. Most of you are probably back to your normal routine of work by now. If you've been able to enjoy some time off, I uh, hope you're rested and refreshed and thankful for each new day the Lord brings us. Hopefully you are engaged in some kind of a Bible reading plan uh, for this year. If you don't have one or don't have an idea of where to go, please refer back to the previous episode I released uh, where I shared uh, the five things that I'm doing in terms of Bible reading this upcoming, well, I say this upcoming year, we're in the year now, so this current <laughs> present year, uh, please refer back to that and find all of the links and so on and so forth, especially if you access it uh, on the Better Bible Reading YouTube channel. But uh, it is typical when somebody is a new believer or if they want to start reading the New Testament, but they don't necessarily want to start in Matthew chapter 1, one of those books that is typically thrown out there as a uh, option A for what book in the Bible should I start out with, I would say probably the most popular one is the Gospel of John. But this episode isn't about the Gospel of John. This episode is about the letter known as 1 John. And I actually think 1 John, even if you were to start with the Gospel of John, if the question is then, what is the second book I should go to? I would say, without hesitation, if you started in the Gospel of John, I think you should go to 1 John. Because 1 John is very interesting in the way that it's written, because if you've just come off of the Gospel of John, you've finished out by that upper room discourse, John chapter 13, when he's washing the feet of his disciples uh, when Jesus is, and then he goes into his upper room teaching all the way through the high priestly prayer in chapter 17. Uh, you'll most likely have those events kind of fresh in the back of your mind. And then when you begin reading 1 John, you're going to notice a lot of overlap. And I have not read any scholarly art articles on this idea, but I typically say to people that I think 1 John is John's own reflection on the Upper Room Discourse. Because so many things that Jesus has to say to his disciples seem to be repeated by John in 1 John. So it's almost like we have an inspired commentary, if you will, on uh, John chapters 13 to 17. Because John is really just picking up on those things that Jesus teaches them right before his arrest and crucifixion. And he's applying them to the church. And it's a very interesting dynamic. So... This episode's about 1 John. You can certainly just jump in with 1 John. But if you 
want to read a gospel first, then read the gospel of John. And then once you're done with that, make your way over to 1 John and you'll see some really interesting connections. So there's themes brought to us in 1 John. And I want to share a couple of these themes with you as a way to kind of whet your appetite and help you anticipate all the things that are to be received and enjoyed and comforted by in uh, this short five-chapter letter. So 1 John's written essentially to strengthen the church against the evil one. You'll find that phrase, the evil one, occur several times in 1 John, and it kind of serves in this kind of message of strength uh, to remind us uh, that we live in a real cosmic battle between good and evil in our lives individually, in our kind of world in which we live in, our immediate surroundings, uh, our geographical context, the community that we belong to, uh, the family that we're associated with, so on and so forth. And then also on a, a kind of more cosmic scale, the big picture is a battle between good and evil. So the battle against the evil one is described by John in two main concepts that I want to share, two main themes, um, and it's also repeated in his other writings. Uh, you'll find repetition in Second John. In some cases, even though it's just one chapter long, you'll find uh, some carryover phrases in Second John that you see in First John, and then like I've already mentioned, you'll find them also referring back to the Gospel of John. So, let me share with you uh, these two main themes or two main concepts, uh, and they'll maybe help you become oriented towards this letter in a, a clarifying way. So the first main theme in John's overall argument is to identify false doctrine. Now, that might not sound all that exciting uh, that this letter is just kind of out there to identify false doctrine, and so it's just one of those uh, targeting letters where you got to be more right than the person next to you or something like that. But in fact, it's so important for John to identify false doctrine because uh, this is implicitly, in any ways, an attack against the church by the heresy of John's day known as Gnosticism. Now, Gnosticism taught uh, many things, but one of which was that matter, so think of skin, our, our, our flesh, think of physical things, that matter is evil, and because of that, Jesus could not have come in flesh. Jesus could not have come with a true physical body. So instead, Jesus must have come, if you have had the misfortune of watching uh, Disney's new Star Wars trilogy, you'll know that in The Last Jedi, uh, Luke appears to fight Kylo Ren, but the key word there is he appears to fight Kylo Ren because at the end of their lightsaber battle, it turns out that Luke is actually just a projection of the Force. He's like he's, he's a hologram. He's not actually there. He just pro projected himself there. So he looks like he's in an actual body, but he's, but he's not. And it's the same kind of idea in Gnosticism uh, when it comes to Jesus appearing, is that he 
seems to be in a physical body. He seemed to have appeared in flesh, but actually he didn't. And Gnosticism was trying to, in some ways, kind of vindicate and leave respect for Jesus because for him to assume a physical flesh and blood body uh, would be a great cause of shame because in that system, uh, flesh itself is evil. Uh, It is not good whatsoever. Uh, So John doesn't use the word Gnosticism in his letter, but it seems really clear that he's got that target uh, because his critique against it is implicit in the way that he introduces uh, Jesus Christ in the very beginning of this letter. Um, You can actually see in the beginning of 1 John, verses 1 and 2, he speaks about Jesus as uh, the word who dwelt among them and that they had heard, seen, and touched. Uh, That's a key word, touch, referring back to that uh, last Jedi movie, Kylo Ren. the, The way that he finds out that Luke is not actually there is when he goes to touch him and his hand goes right through him. So he finds out, oh, he's not actually here. Uh, Well, John is saying, no, they actually touched Jesus. He really was in flesh and blood. He really was and had a true physical body. And in fact, you can kind of see the way that 1 John picks up the same language and the same ideas that John has already mentioned in the Gospel of John. So the beginning of the Gospel of John and the beginning of 1 John are both making an argument that the incarnation, uh, the first coming of Jesus Christ, is not something where he just looks like he's in a physical body, but it really is a physical body. Uh, And again, for John to say that they had touched him even, uh, couldn't be possible if Jesus did not actually come in the flesh. So it's this doctrine of the incarnation uh, that is viewed as an essential part of the gospel, according to John. Uh, Just one example is in 1 John chapter 4, verse number 2, where John says that, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess that Jesus is not sorry, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now is in the world already. So for John, it's a really important, a really crucial matter uh, to say that Jesus came in the flesh, uh, because if he didn't, and if you're saying that he didn't, that is an anti-Christian notion. It's a demonic teaching. So John is automatically distancing true Orthodox Christianity from Gnosticism, and he's saying that Gnosticism is an anti-Christian teaching. It's a demonic teaching that's trying to disrupt the whole idea of salvation, the whole idea of Jesus dying on the cross. Because after all, if Jesus didn't actually come in the flesh, then he didn't actually die on the cross. It just looks like it because it's not a real body that is bleeding and and dies. So if he didn't die a death on our behalf with a real body, if he just looks like he did, then it just looks like we're saved, but we're actually not. So 
again, this is crucially important for John, and he kind of locks this in his sights and wants to drive this point home of upholding right Orthodox Christianity from the demonic distractions and distortions of his day. So we need to make a big deal about this. We need to uh, focus on how important this is to John because it should be equally important to us. So that's kind of the first aspect. So John is targeting false doctrine, uh, and the reason he is is because it undermines the gospel entirely. But the second is this theme of abiding. According to John, it's important that the church not only abides vertically with God, but horizontally with one another as an expression of love. For John, these are inseparable realities of our strength as we're in this cosmic battle, as we're entering into this warfare with the evil one. Uh, We can't focus only on the false doctrine points if we're not abiding with God in fellowship or with other brothers and sisters in fellowship, because love is what binds us together and strengthens us and allows us to stand against these false doctrines and all the rest. If we don't have love and abiding fellowship with each other, uh, we're living in a state of disunity, and we leave the door wide open for greater division to come in, which almost always happens by way of false doctrine entering into the church. So John is looking at the teaching, he's looking at the practice. Uh, But the practice, John really just summarizes, instead of saying, do this and this and this and this, but don't do this or that or that, he just summarizes it into that overarching concept of abiding in love. That word abiding, you see it, again, this is really where that Jesus' upper room discourse kind of reflected by John uh, really shines through, because Jesus speaks of abiding. Jesus speaks of our fellowship and union with God the Father and with Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. Remember, he, he mentions the promise of the Spirit in that upper room discourse. But he also tells the disciples that listening and obeying his commands, i.e. loving him and loving one another, is the true proof that we are disciples of Jesus Christ. Uh, They will know us uh, by our love for one another. And that word abiding speaks of that ongoing upheld love and fellowship with one another. Uh, abiding is is really the idea of pull up a chair and stay a while type thing. It, it's a uh, vested interest. It's an interdependency with one another. Uh, we are in fellowship with God. John speaks of this in 1 John chapter 2, chapter 3, twice, and also in chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4 of horizontal love, horizontal abiding, which is the one another. So it's really the love God and love your neighbor as yourself. It's that vertical and horizontal reality of Christianity. And according to John, this is the way that we combat the threats that come at us from the evil one. 
an interesting Old Testament example that John decides to use to get this point across is the story of Cain and Abel. You think about what happens a generation prior. You have Adam and Eve who sin against God. You have that broken vertical abiding fellowship and love. And the immediate consequence of that is seen in the first siblings in human history, Cain and Abel. And how does that first sibling relation in all of human history end? Well, it ends with murder. So Cain murders his brother Abel. There's the horizontal distortion of abiding love. There is no abiding love between the two, and that's a necessary consequence of no vertical abiding love with God. So John uses Cain as a negative example. He says, don't be like Cain, and he says Cain was of the evil one. So remember that John is strengthening us against the evil one, and the way he does that is to say how important it is that we maintain that abiding love and fellowship with God and with one another. And then he uses that negative example of Cain to show this is what it looks like when you don't do that. This is what it looks like when you don't strengthen yourself against the evil one. You have a vertical as well as a horizontal disruption and distortion. So it's an interesting way that we could say John presents to us in this letter known as 1 John. He presents to us, in some ways, a commentary on Jesus' upper room discourse. In some ways, kind of a quick summary of what it means to obey the two great commandments in the Christian life, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves especially in the context of the church where our neighbor our our neighbor is fellow Christians alongside us and also to remind us that we are in a battle where both the abiding love that we are to practice is threatened as well as the belief the loving God with all of our mind what we believe about God in other words what we believe about Christian teaching as a whole. And that, remember, that first example was when Jesus' fleshly appearance, when the incarnation of Jesus is called into question, and it's kind of just takes a Greek philosophical distortion into Gnosticism, and we say, well, what's the harm in saying that, you know, Jesus just appeared to come in the flesh instead of actually coming in the flesh? And John says, well, that brings the whole gospel into question. And if it brings the whole gospel into question, then we're still in that kind of enmity with God and one another, like we see with Cain and Abel, like we see with Adam and Eve, and nothing has happened. We're still under the power and dominion of the evil one. And therefore, everything that I'm about to tell you is of no consequence because we have not been saved by a Christ who has only appeared to come in the flesh. So you can see, even though the letter reads very, very easily, John in his gospel, John in his 
letters is very, very readable compared to some of the more uh, complicated structural arguments that somebody like the Apostle Paul makes. And yet, the depths and the breadth that John is able to communicate with simple, easy-to-read language is quite remarkable. Because when we take a step back and analyze everything that he's saying and how the argument is arranged and how it pulls the Old Testament uh, into his argument and presents it to us in light of the New Testament, you can see how brilliant John is. Uh, John was not a simpleton, but he had the amazing gift of being able to communicate uh, in simple language. And so I hope that this letter, you know, we often speak of 1 John as the letter of assurance. And it is certainly true that 1 John, again and again, you'll find that this is how we know. This is how you can know uh, that communicating that assurance of salvation. And he certainly does. It's so important to appreciate that. But there's also other things going on. And I think those two that I mentioned, the idea of abiding love and the idea of protecting ourselves from the evil one and what we believe um, are very helpful to appreciate um, how intricately woven together this letter is. So, I'll leave it at that because I hope that if nothing else, I've just simply encouraged you to stop listening to this and go read First John, uh, maybe with a new lens, and maybe to appreciate some things that you've never noticed before. But if you do have time, go back and read the Gospel of John. If you don't want to read the whole thing first, just read John 13 through 17, get through the Upper Room Discourse, and then go read First John, and you'll see that relation between those as well. And it really is uh, an incredible thing. So maybe this will encourage you if you don't have a Bible reading plan, if you don't know really where to go uh, at the kind of dawn of a new year, this is at least one very easy example, but one that has a great payoff uh, where you can appreciate the forest and the trees all at once. Um, But hopefully, yeah, this motivates you to get going. So I'll leave it at that. But thank you so much for joining me for the first official episode of the new year on the Better Bible Reading Podcast. Please make sure to go over to YouTube to the Better Bible Reading channel because I'll continue to have Bible reviews, uh, special videos that don't really fit the podcast format. Uh, So those will be exclusive to YouTube. Uh, That way you're not going to miss out on anything. But anyways... I hope you enjoy your year so far, 2023, and I hope you uh, continue to learn how to say 2023 like myself, and maybe it won't sound so weird the more we say it. But yeah, hope you've enjoyed your year so far. We're only a few days in, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your year, and I will be alongside you for continued help to be a better Bible reader in 2023. This is Kevin Morris with the Better Bible Reading Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Take care.